thanks for having me, Steve. It's really an honor to, to be invited to come on and talk with you. Um, oh, well, look. Really... <laughs> I'm loving the dogs. That's so cute. Yeah, Morgan wants to... I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance, Steve, if they bark during the middle of this because we're at a campground and there's people walking by every once in a while. I'll do my best to keep them quiet. But It's uh, all good. Well, yeah. we'll we'll let people know that there are dogs who are part of the show. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll introduce them even. They can, they can get in. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Steve Joel, and this is Champions of 40K. Thanks for listening in. I appreciate it. Every episode of this show is dedicated to celebrating the people who are champions of our game on the tabletop, in the community, around different parts of the world, whatever. Before we start, if you could like, share, review the podcast, either on iTunes or Spotify or Facebook or wherever, I'd just really appreciate it. Be a huge help. Even better, if you need 40k product, shop at Frontline Gaming using my affiliate link. That just gets me a tiny kickback and that'd help even more. Okay, let's get on with the show. My guest today is the man, the friendly voice behind the streaming channel Wargames Live. And I hope I don't mess up your last name, Joe Scheidler. Joe. That's right. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being my guest, man. I appreciate it. You, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Steve. You've got a busy life. As we speak, and we should let people know we've got, you're in you're in a campground. It looks, I can see, but our listeners can't, like you're in a camper van of some sort. Is this your life now, just traveling around campsite to campsite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, I live in my RV full time now, so I'm here at a campground somewhere in Tennessee. I'm not exactly sure where, um, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, I just travel from tournament to tournament and uh, and set up my stream there. So you're like it's a, a traveling roadshow. You're like the yeah. the rock bands who say it's Tuesday. It must be Tennessee. So yeah, I guess. <laughs> you got I think that. of myself more like a traveling carnival or a sideshow or something. Right. So, yeah. I'll take rock band if you want to give that to me. Yeah. <laughs> so you're unveiling the back of the the, the van and selling uh, medicinal compound. Yeah, out of, yeah the, right. out of the back of the, which would kind of suit. Now, uh, actually, that's the first thing I wanted to touch on. You you studied biochemistry, and worked as a chemistry teacher, right? So you're a you're a science nerd as well. Uh, it it feels like a sharp left turn into war gaming, but let's can we start with the studying of biochemistry and and uh, the qualification and that part of your life, and then into teaching. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so it's funny because there's actually a whole other career tucked in there too between college and teaching that I um, started and and decided to switch off from but you know I, I always love science you know I think when you're a kid um, in school every once in a while a teacher just clicks with you right. right or you get something out of a specific class and for me it was it was science all my science teachers I just you know they were they were the ones that I uh, resonated with and um, and chemistry in particular I really enjoyed. So when I went to college, I just, I just wanted to get a degree that was challenging. That was my main goal. I didn't really want to go into research necessarily, or I wasn't planning on, I didn't know what I want to do, right? Cause you're a kid in high school, yeah, you're a senior yeah. in high school, you know, you know what, you don't know what you want to do. But um, I, I knew that I wanted to get a degree that was going to be an intellectual challenge. That was the main thing for me. So um, I actually started off in physics and um I just physics did not work with my brain very well for whatever reason. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, did, I didn't. Uh, I had a really bad physics professor my first year in college. And 
um, again, it's, it goes back to those relationships you have with your teachers and mentors. So um, he kind of turned me off from that. And uh, then I went into chemistry from there. And I've really, I, I really love the, the science of chemistry. It's something that uh, it's changed the way I look at the world, honestly, like um, you can see chemical reactions going on all around you, you know, and it's not, it might sound a little corny or cheesy, but um, it's, it's really a cool way, different way of looking at the natural world. You know, what's going on right. a little bit more at the atomic level. So I'm, I'm envious um, that yeah. you, you discovered that passion for it when you were young in that I was having a conversation with someone recently about math, both math and science, in that a lot of people become interested in that stuff as they get older. You know, uh, as, a, as a kid, I wasn't really into it, but as a grown-up, science shows are fascinating and math becomes interesting and something you can use. And as a kid, you don't know yeah. that that's ever going to be a thing for you. So I, I was more of the artsy, good at English kind of type. Sure, sure. Um, I think I, I was really lucky because I grew up in a time when um, I don't know if you guys had this in New Zealand, but we had the like the Discovery Channel was a big deal when I was a kid, and um, there was another channel called the Learning Channel. This was back before it was all just reality TV trash, right? It was actually like science documentaries on that channel twenty four hours a day. And when I was a kid, I would just eat that stuff up. That was right. what I watched all the time. I didn't care what it was about; it didn't matter to me if it was something where I was learning something about nature. I was just fascinated by it. So, um, and, uh, so, so I just, um, soaked all that stuff up pretty, pretty readily from the time I was little. Now, now I think about like, if you look at what's on those channels nowadays, it's, it's like home remodeling contests. Weird reality television shows yeah. or whatever. Well, see, we so. didn't have all of that when I was a kid growing up, we had literally two television channels and in fact one when I was yeah. really little and then two and then finally three. Yeah. And then eventually we kind of, we got this thing from America and it was light cable, but satellite. And we kind of, we were able to see all these different channels, but by yeah. the time we got it, I feel like by the time I got it, what was on discovery was motorcycle building shows and you still, yeah. and, and yeah. testing out theories, you know, what was that show? Those two guys used to do the, they take an old thing and they see if it actually worked or a, I can't remember how. Yeah, yeah, uh, Mythbusters. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. a lot of that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, that, that was kind of later on. When I was a kid, it was all like um, nature documentaries, like you know, um, Sir Richard Attenborough and, and oh, those yeah. kind of guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I really enjoyed that stuff. Yeah, and I was a big dinosaur kid. As well, so. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so were you a nerd? Yeah. And like, did uh, did Forty K sneak into your life when you were younger? Like a lot of people. You know, um, when I was a kid, we were too poor for me to play 40K. I, I, my first exposure to like tabletop miniature gaming was HeroQuest. Um, and HeroQuest, I didn't know this till later in life, but it turns out HeroQuest was this partnership between Games Workshop and uh, Milton Bradley, which is like a, you know, regular board game company. And I, I fell in love with that uh, game when I was a kid, just mostly honestly because of the miniatures. I loved the miniatures in that game and I loved the, setting up the dungeons and hero quest had this awesome like um cardboard furniture just all of that scene dressing that you could do on a on a board game made it really really fun for me and um so that was the first time i kind of dipped my toes into miniature gaming and i was probably i don't know 10 11 years old um and then i didn't get back into like warhammer until i was in my I want to say late twenties was when yeah. I reconnected with it back, you know, when I was 
actually making my own money and kind of out on my own. And um, I, I was looking for a way to connect with some new adult friends in the town that I moved to. So, right, right. Um, yeah. That's actually, funnily, that's a not an uncommon story. It's not the most common story, but it's an it's not an uncommon story where you it's a way to connect with other grown-ups because when you're a grown-up and you move to a town or maybe you've got friends who all move away at the same time as a grown-up you're not going to high school anymore so connecting with people of similar interests you know it suddenly becomes becomes hard you work with people but that doesn't mean you want to go socialize with those people and short of short of bar trawling for friends which is kind of a weird thing as a grown-up you don't go into a bar and say hey want to be friends and play games so you you look for a club that interests you right so i guess that's what you did yeah Um, it's exactly right and yeah were you are you a a nerd in other areas so you've got science and miniature gaming i've always considered myself a nerd and this was back before being a nerd was like i guess cool or whatever there's a lot (laughs) i I really sound like an old man in this conversation steve i apologize (laughs) back in my day uh, yeah it's it's funny to, to see the difference in um, what's considered cool or socially acceptable nowadays. Because when I was a kid, you know, liking things like comic books or yeah. um, reading fiction or um, enjoying fantasy or, you know, science fiction kind of stuff, that was very nerdy, right? And, and nerdy in a way that would, like, ostracize you from the, the cool social circle. Right. Um, that's changed so much in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. I saw it with my students, you know, it's very different nowadays, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've always considered myself to be um, pretty nerdy in my interests. I'm a huge, huge reader of science fiction and fantasy novels. Right. Um, I read, you know, 150, 200 novels a year or something like that. Um, Wow. When I'm, when I'm really reading a lot nowadays, it's less, but when I was a kid, I would read tons of books uh, we would go to the used bookstore and we uh, we would just in the summertime just put our arms behind the shelf in the fantasy and sci-fi section and just dump all the books into a box and take them home with us. Um, that was kind of our summer, my mom's way of um, kind of giving us babysitting for the summer because she knew that if she bought us all those books, we would just be, you know, bound up reading those the whole time. Isn't so that I've, great, I've always, though? Isn't that just I don't oh, love? Great. Yeah. yeah, that is so. I was a, a reader as a kid as well. My brothers were not though, and so my yeah. uh, two brothers would constantly be at me to come outside, come do stuff, come get involved, and I'd be with nose in a book. And it's uh, if you've got siblings, I assume, who were also into it. That's so great yep. for your parents, for your mum. That's yeah. great for her no, to be it, able to it do. Great. It's a great escape you know it's um it's a way to transport yourself into some magical other world and yeah. uh i just really enjoyed that because you know when, when we were kids like i said i don't i don't want to paint my my childhood as like troubled or anything but it was definitely you know we, we had we were we were poor we were dirt poor when i was a kid yeah, right yeah. so like we didn't have lots of money for other stuff and so um being able to kind of go on these extravagant trips in my imagination through reading was a really, really um, important to me. And it still is, you know, I really enjoy reading. I, I don't actually read. I can't remember the last time I actually physically read a book. Everything's audiobooks now. Right. Right. But um, that's something I love about what I do now is I, I drive so much. I get to listen to so many books, you know, 
I'm constantly listening to stuff. Now, so our so our listeners know you've got a couple of dogs with you if we hear them barking, but you're also yeah. uh, having to just kind of move them out of the way, stop them kind of getting yeah, it underneath the, the microphone and the cable. Please don't be sorry. But uh, can we? Uh, are you allowed to tell us the names of the dogs, or do they wish to remain oh, anonymous? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Carbon is my black lab. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Very chemistry teacher. I, yeah, I used to be a chemistry teacher, so uh, <laughs> carbon that, and that black. Was pretty, yeah, pretty easy one. Yeah, and then I have Morgan, who's my. She's a half German Shepherd and half Malamute, and she's named after. That's my grandma's maiden name. Oh, that's so I got cute. her right, shortly after my grandma passed away. So. Oh wow! Um, so she's yeah, she's she's, she's pretty really, special. Yeah, I mean they both are, of course. I, yeah, I, I can't imagine doing what I do without having my dogs with me. It's so. It, it turns my RV from being just a place to being feeling like home when they're right. here with me. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I feel like it, this is a 40K podcast, so we should, you know, just veer into what we've got you on for, which is War Games Live. This is how people know you. They will have um, tuned into War Games Live at some point, no doubt, to uh, to watch games. Uh, and you get around the country. It does. Can we talk about the sharp turn into, into this, though? Because it does feel like a big shift away from – teaching chemistry suddenly into we're streaming war games about a year ago the test stream goes up and yeah. i want to say it was utah or somewhere like that that you kind of did your first stream and yep. um yep. and then we go so so how did this come about what prompted the decision um it's kind of a somewhat of a long story so I, my first career out of college was um, was not teaching. I was actually a software industry consultant for about five or six years. And um, I quit that job because I just, I came to a crossroads and I realized that I just didn't want to do something where my main goal was to make billionaires more money for a living. Right. right? That was kind of something I really didn't want to do. Um, I used to do a lot of work for like Dell Computer and some other, those big companies. And I just didn't get any fulfillment out of that. So I quit that career path. And um, that's when I went into teaching and I did the teaching for five or six years. Um, and I, I really loved teaching. It was, it was great, but it's the hardest job in the world, at least maybe not everywhere, but here in the States, um, yeah. if you really care about doing a good job, it's a very difficult job. Um, and so I, I actually, a couple things happened. I had like a, a kind of a health scare and that, that caused me to, reevaluate um, if I wanted to do this for the rest of my life, right? I, I thought, well, now I know I'm not immortal, you know? <laughs> I think we all kind of have that moment at some point in our lives when we realize, you know, everyone's been saying this all the time that you're not gonna live forever. I guess that actually might be true. So yeah. I, uh, I had that kind of get through to me and, and I realized there were other things I wanted to do with my life besides just be a teacher. And again, I have so much respect for teachers. I think it's an incredible job. Um, a lot of my, I had great friends when I was teaching who were incredible people. Um, it just, it just turned out to not be for me. You know, it was, uh, right. it was, it was too emotionally difficult for me to work so hard on a group of kids throughout a school year and then have to start from scratch the next year, year after year. Right. Um, so, so I, I actually stopped teaching and then I just, I cashed in some of my retirement money and sold my house where I was living and bought a little place in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico, uh, way up in the mountains. And I, my goal was to just see if I could be happy living on as little as possible, right? Just minimize my life. Don't have any bills. Don't have any expensive 
um, hobbies, which is funny because I <laughs> love Warhammer. Um, yeah. try, try not to have, you know, I, I didn't have a fancy car. You know, I didn't have uh, any credit card debt, thank goodness. Like, I, I just tried to live on as little as I could. And um, I really got a lot of peace out of that. But I would say I didn't get fulfillment out of it. I had this really pretty low tier, low paying job that was close by. So give you some idea of how far away, Steve, I live from everyone. The, the job that was close to me was at a, a solar observatory. And if you know anything about observatories, they don't build those things right. close to anything. Right. And my house was further away from town than the observatory was. So right. um, I lived way out in the middle of nowhere. So I, I went, I worked at this observatory for, I don't know, maybe seven or eight months, um, just like in the gift shop, you know, and then COVID hit and I got laid off from that job. And I remember at the time I was really upset because I thought that I was, I don't, I don't want to come across as like arrogant or something here, but I was very overqualified for what I was doing at that job. Right. Like, I mean, I have a master's degree. I have a bachelor's in biochemistry. I have lots of experience and education and stuff. And I was working for minimum wage at a gift, gift store at right. a, at a observatory. And I got laid off and I just remember thinking, man, I, I don't want to ever be in this position again. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be at the whim of some person deciding that they, you know, they don't want to have me around. And, and I don't also want to be in a position where, um, where my boss is getting a bunch of extra free value out of me. Right. Cause, cause I was doing things for them that was way above what someone getting paid minimum wage would normally do at a place like that. So I just really decided I didn't want to work for anyone else anymore. You know, I wanted to figure out a way to strike out on my own and start my own business and, um, you know, be my own boss. You know, I, I know it sounds kind of silly or, or cliche, but I just was fed up with working for other people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I was trying to find something I was passionate about. And um, I've always... I've always been someone who kind of jumps around from hobby to hobby. You know, when I was a kid, I had lots of, like, I'd have interests where I dove way deep into something for five or six months. And then I would just go away from it and never come back to it ever again. You right. Know? I was really right. into like leather working for a while. I was into carpentry for a while when I was a kid, I was really into, you know, remote control cars for a while. I, I was really into Legos for like all these little interests. But the only thing that's ever stuck with me over the years has been Warhammer. You know, it's, it's the only thing that ever has really kept my interest for a long time. And so when I decided I wanted to start a business. I thought I would love to do something associated with the Warhammer community. And uh, that's where the idea for the stream came from. Um, wow. So, so yeah, I was born out of kind of desperation of losing my job in COVID and um, had a bunch of extra time on my hands. <laughs> so most people who get into content creation do it from a basis of having, you know, been active playing the game at maybe even tournament level for for a period of time. And you've kind of yeah. come into this and gone, you know what, I want to stream games. And had, yep. had you been playing much, I guess, out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> you don't get yeah. a lot of opportunity to play. So I, I would play about once a week, but it was an hour and a half drive each way to get to the game store. Wow. And, and the people that I played with there were, there was a bunch of great guys there, but it was a very different scene. Cause I started playing Warhammer in San Antonio, Texas, and there's a very vibrant competitive scene there, right? right. Tournaments almost every weekend. 
Um, I was part of a gaming club where we would get together and practice for events and, you know, test lists with each other. And we had a little like in-house league and all this stuff. And I loved all that. And, but where I lived in New Mexico, it was a very different scene. It was very like the word competitive or tournament was like a dirty word to a lot of those guys, you know? Okay. Um, and so it was a very different feel to that community. Um, and so I got my Warhammer fix from it, but I wasn't getting that, you know, I guess being part of a team or uh, that the whole, the whole tournament slash competitive scene is something that um, people think it's just all about people who want to like win games. And it's, to me, it's not that about that at all. No. It's just about having an excuse to, you know, get together with your buddies and like strategize and plan and prepare for the big event. You know, that, that whole lead up to a tournament is way, it, it's almost more important than the tournament itself. Right. You know? Um, cooking up your list, practicing it, painting the stuff, um, you know, figuring out what matchups are good or bad for you and how you're going to, all that stuff is so fun. Um, and so I, I wasn't really getting much of that with my community there in New Mexico. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny, Steve, you mentioned that um, I, I'm not, most people who stream are coming at it from that angle of being a, a, a high tier competitor. I absolutely agree with you. And I was actually terrified about that when I started because I'm just some guy, some schmuck from, you know, the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. Nobody knows who I am. No, nobody knows. No one's ever heard of me or, or once like, why would we want this guy to come stream our event? We don't know who he is. Right. Um, and I was terrified about that because um, I, I had that same concern for myself. Like, why would people want to watch my stream? <laughs> you know, I'm not the most knowledgeable guy about Warhammer Steve. I'll tell you straight up, you know, I'm not, I'm not one of these guys who knows the ins and outs of every codex and all the rules and all that. Um, because for me, uh, Warhammer is, it's about that to some extent, maybe like 30, 35%. I love that complexity of the game and all that. But mostly for me, it's about it's an experiential thing, right? It's the experience of um, going to the store, hanging out with people, showing off the model I just painted this week, you know, uh, talking about how I would fix Warhammer with my buddies, which is something, yeah, you know, it's yeah. an endless font of conversation. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so to me, that's a, a bigger part of the game than the kind of strategic and tactical stuff. Um, but I think that's something that's really cool about Warhammer is that you can interact with it on all these different axes, right? You can come at it from a very, like, um, nuts and bolts, how do I win Warhammer games perspective. You can come at it from a very, like, just engaging with just the lore, right? You can come at it from engaging just on the artistic level. You can come at it engaging from just a community level. And um, I think that's something that's so cool about Warhammer in our community. And not just Warhammer, but also Warhammer tournaments, is that you go to a tournament and you see these people who are there who know they don't have a chance to win the game, to win the tournament, right? Not even, they don't have a prayer. They might even not even win one game, right? But they still go to these events. Think about other games. Like how many other games and communities where do you see people come out who know they literally have no chance to even win one game, but they come out anyway? You know, why do people come to Warhammer tournaments if they're in that group? Well, it's because of all this other stuff, right? It's because of, yeah. they get to meet their friends. They get to say hi to people they haven't seen in a long time. They get to show off their army that they've spent months painting, you know. Um, all that extra stuff to me is just as important as the game happening on the table at a Warhammer tournament. Yeah. 
And I, I think that what my stream has done is kind of taken that what I originally thought was a weakness, which is being the guy who doesn't know everything about Warhammer and isn't as plugged into the competitive scene, which I thought was a weakness. And I've tried to turn that into a strength because, you know, I look at the game through a slightly different perspective than these other guys. You know, I get people on my stream who I know aren't going to win the tournament, right? Like the on my stream the first day, like on a Saturday, it's a two-day event. On a Saturday, I try to show as much variety and as much kind of hobby stuff as I can on those first two or three games. Because to me, that stuff is a vital part of any Warhammer tournament, you know? just walking around and just ogling the beautiful armies people have. is just awesome. And um, so I, I think that by, by the fact that I have this kind of slightly different focus than a lot of other people out there, it's, it's let my stream have a little bit of a different feel where I try to recognize not just one axis of the hobby, which is a competitive, you know, who's going to win the game focus, but so much more than that, right? All the other stuff around it. Um, yeah. Community, which is what I, you know, in my chat, the, the chat room in my in my stream, to me is my Warhammer community, right? Um, the artistry of the game. That's the reason I have all the cameras and stuff, that, all the technology that I have. It was born out of a desire to capture and share and show people the incredible talent and artistry that's on display at every single one of these Warhammer tournaments. It just takes my breath away still every weekend, right? And I've been doing this every weekend for over a year. I'm still just in awe of these people and their talent and skill that they come and share with us at these events. Um, so, and then, and then the competition side, right? That's also important to me. It's fun, um, but it's not the only thing, right? It's not the only um, thing that I'm interested in. Yeah. When I now, at a Warhammer stream. I would say that uh, when I asked that question, I did not intend it as a critique of, of your Warhammer knowledge. It was more of oh, a, sure. an observation that, it seems like such a sudden start. You know, you haven't come yeah. from years of playing tournaments and then gone, oh, man, I would like to do this for a living. You've come out of a very different situation, a life-changing yeah. situation, and gone, what can I do? Oh, here's something that interests me. And then you've set it up. And let's take that feeling you had of why would anyone watch me? What was the reception like? It feels like it was pretty positive almost immediately that you started this gig, but can I, st even one step back from that, what was the reception like when you approached stores or events and said, hey, I'd like to stream? It, I can tell you if I was a Warhammer guy putting on an event and you came and said, I've got the technology to do it, I haven't done it before, but I'd like to have a go, I feel like I'd say yes to that. Yeah, honestly, again, that's a testament to the Warhammer community. The vast majority of tournaments were surprisingly very open and, and welcoming to me. There yeah. were a couple who, you know, some of the bigger events were like, well, we don't, we already have someone streaming it. We don't know who this guy is. So no thanks, not this year. Right. But almost every, and it was such a, such a shock in a good way to me when I started, I would just reach out to these people and say, Hey, can I come stream your event? And Nine times out of ten, it was a yes, you know, from, yeah. from people I'd never met before, right? They had no idea who I was, just some random guy. And and when I first started, Steve, I didn't have anything on my YouTube channel. I had an empty YouTube page, you know, <laughs> War Games Live on YouTube. And I would send, like, emails to these people and say, hey, I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> I... <laughs> but I have like a million cameras and I have all this equipment and I want to come stream your event. Right. 
And um, the very first one was in Utah at this event called War Games for Warriors. It was run by a guy named Mario. And he almost instantly said, yes, please come out and stream the event. And no strings attached, no question, nothing. Just just from the from the moment I got in touch with him, it was just welcoming, right? And it was such a great feeling to go out there to a group of people who weren't my local Warhammer community, but you know, you instantly have a connection with them. And um and they were just happy to have me there, right? Just just happy to have me there, really, really friendly. And Steve, that's the thing that I think has been the theme that's run through my whole crazy trip here is everywhere I go, people are just so welcoming and friendly, right? And and it's I was worried at first that there would be like some territorial problems where some people didn't want me coming and streaming because, you know, I'm some guy from New Mexico and they don't know who the heck I am. So, you know, don't don't let me come in. But it just it just hasn't happened. You know, yeah. people have been they just rolled out the welcome mat for me everywhere I've gone. And um I, I just I don't know if I could have made this work in any other community, right? Because I'm just literally coming in and you know, my production doesn't take up a whole bunch of space or whatever, but it's it's a little bit of a production, right? I mean, I've got it takes me about four or five hours to set everything up the day before. Um, there's a, a bunch of lights and you know, um I have quite a quite a few cameras sprinkled around, and um, not only have the events been very welcoming, Steve, but also just I I was worried when I first started that people wouldn't want to play on the stream, right? Right. Because to be honest with you, if I was in a tournament, I'm not sure I would say yes to playing on a stream. It adds a whole lot of stress to your game, right? It's it's a whole extra layer of, oh man, I better not mess anything up because the internet's going to yell at me or whatever. <laughs> and that has not been an issue at all, right? People are just Again, I say this on my stream all the time, but I'm so thankful to the players who agree to play on my stream because I wouldn't have a job without them. So that's um, I was and, going to ask about that. The, yeah. the the players who come in, I mean, again, I, maybe it's just because of the person I am, but I feel like a lot of people would jump at the chance to be on stream. The In this yeah. hobby, I mean, without wanting to be, you know, pointing any fingers – there are in this hobby an awful lot of people, I would think, who are not socially necessarily the most comfortable. You know, the people sometimes you meet in stores, but there must also be plenty of us who are gregarious and out there and into this sort of stuff. If you came and said, would you be on stream? A lot of people would see that as an honor. Holy crap, I get to play on stream. Um, I was going to ask, though, yeah. do you think it's, if you've got, you know, players have both never been on stream, Cool. But what if you've got a guy that's used to it, like an Adrian from Tabletop Titans, who I saw on one of the streams um, at an event not long ago, or you maybe you've got a Seagler or someone, you know, who's used to being on camera versus someone not yeah. as much. Do you, is that ever a, an issue or a thing, or are you conscious of making it comfortable for both players? Yeah, that's a really good point, Steve. I do my best to put people at ease when they come to the stream table because it is whether whether or not you know you want to say it or or um, admit to it in the moment. It it is in your head when you're when you're playing on stream. It's different, right? right? And yeah, those guys like a Siegler or an Adrian, you know, um, those guys might have a little bit of advantage in that situation because they're they're comfortable playing on camera, um, and that does concern me sometimes. No no doubt, 
So I do my best when the players get up to the table. You know, I give my little pregame spiel every time. And I, I try to joke around with them a little bit, you know, maybe tease them a little bit. I, I try to get the vibe from the player and see, like, what, what can I do to put a smile on this guy's face or maybe right. make him chuckle a little bit before the game starts. Because I want to I wanna get them, put them at ease. And I also, you know, I, I tell people that I don't really care about, you know, swearing or whatever on my stream, not because I, you know, it would be better for me if I told people not to swear because then I could have, you know, on YouTube, I would get more views or whatever. Right. But to me, I do that because I want people to feel comfortable. Right. Yeah. If you're someone who swears like a sailor when you're playing Warhammer, <laughs> I don't want to make you have to change your behavior to be on my stream. Right. And I also, as little as possible, I, I as soon as I let them start the game, I go hide. Right. So they don't, they don't, hopefully they forget that I'm there. Right. Which is maybe hard to do because there's these lights bearing down and they have little robot cameras moving back yeah, and forth yeah, yeah. on the side of the table. And um, but my goal is that the the players eventually forget that they're playing on the stream and kind of get lost in the game. Um, so, but but overall, you know, I will say that as much as I try to make people people feel comfortable, those guys who are used to playing on camera. They are awesome at making their opponent feel comfortable on stream too, right? Yeah. Like all the guys from Art of War, so good at that, right? They're so good at putting their opponent at ease. Um, you know, again, had the honor to have Adrian from Tabletop Titans on at Nova, which I felt a little bad because it was like his weekend off because he plays on stream all the time. <laughs> I was like, hey, man, I don't want you to – I told him several times. I was like, listen, it's okay if you want to just play and not be on camera. I totally get it. And, again, a great, great example of someone being so gracious to – play on my stream i think twice that weekend yeah he did yeah uh, when it was like his weekend off you know but 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 I, I have noticed that those guys um they do their best as well to put their opponent at ease and, and try to you know keep them from thinking about being on camera too much the other thing is that my my community and my chat on my channel also is a big part of that i think of making people feel at ease because a big part of my job and, and my community that's grown up around my channel is that we um we have respect for the players playing on the stream and realize that they're human beings right and yeah. so mistakes are going to happen and people are going to get rules wrong but i feel confident inviting people to come onto my stream because i know that my community is going to be an adult about those situations and you know give the players the benefit of the doubt right because we've all none of us have ever played a perfect game of warhammer none of us have the difference is that when they're when those guys are on stream, there's 400, 500 people watching them to catch every little mistake that they make, and um, you know that can get in someone's head a lot too. But I think my channel's community, the people in my community who watch and comment and chat, they've built up a reputation for themselves to be reasonable people, right? They're not going to fly off the handle on somebody if they make an honest mistake during a game of Warhammer. Yeah, you're right. The yeah. the, the community is positive. I love also that you've got. Um people like Adrian or whoever on the channel, and I'll use Adrian because I did see, I think I saw both those games. He played Brian Jones uh, in one of the games. It was Harlequins versus Knights. It's amazing to see uh, how great they are in, in the way they play as well. It's gratifying to yep. see a guy like Adrian at an event playing the same way he does on his channel normally, which is just, you know, letting people have take backs or always playing with intent or always talking through what's going on and just being a gentleman and being a nice guy about it, which is 99.9% .9 of the games I've ever yeah. played and also 99.9% .9 of the games we see on your channel. 
I'm glad you brought that up, Steve, because I, I do think that those guys, um, we're, we're lucky in Warhammer because the people in our game who are the best and the most popular at Warhammer are also great people, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they, they are not win at all costs, cutthroat, you know, um, stick like rule lawyer stickler guys. And I honestly think that those guys, um, all those guys we've mentioned, they have been a positive force for changing the culture of Warhammer. Because when I first started playing Warhammer tournaments, <laughs> there was no such thing as a take back, right? If you mess something up, yeah, it's a tournament, buddy. I'm sorry. You know, you, that's it. That's the way the culture was in Warhammer at tournaments I went to starting in seventh edition. And the game has the, the feeling at tournaments that playing by intent, like you mentioned, and, um, just being reasonable with people, right? Treating people like human beings and realizing that they have faulty memories and, you know, we're, we're all going to make mistakes and stuff. Being forgiving of your opponent. That that has changed so much since like 8th and ninth edition. And I really do think a lot of it is because of those kinds of guys being positive examples. Because now you can't say, well, I'm playing like this because I want to I be the best and win. When you can say, hey, well, look, the, the best guy in the world at Warhammer over there, like a Brad Chester or <laughs> yeah. a Richard Siegler, Guess what? He's the most fun guy in the room to play. Like Brad Chester is so much fun to have on stream. And I, I would love to play a game with him one day because he he he's awesome at the game, but he's also makes it an awesome experience for his opponents. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think that all of us should take that responsibility on whenever we play any game of Warhammer, that at the end of the day, you know, yeah, you, you can play to win the game, but we should also be playing to build up our community and make people want to come back, you know. Yeah, um, I love that. I spoke to Nick Nunavati a long time ago, and uh, uh, on this sort of thing, you know, interviewed him about it, and and asked about that sort of stuff. And he said the big thing for a guy like him and Brad and whoever else is afterwards they want to know they beat you based on how good they are, not because. And Siegler says the same, not because right. you made some uncharacteristic mistake that you shouldn't have made, and they capitalized. You know, they went, oh, he hasn't even noticed you know, whatever, yep. that I've got some guys hidden behind yep. the building. He hasn't noticed that, therefore I'm going to kick his ass. So right. they will always point it out, always make sure everybody's got all the information and then still beat you. <laughs> and that's what they want to be yeah, able to exactly. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. That, that's a great example. We had Siegler on, uh, I had him on at LVO last year. And his opponent was clearly starstruck, right? This was when Siegler won LVO with Admech, right? Right. And, which, by the way, I still don't think he gets enough. I know he gets a lot of credit from people. That's still an amazing achievement. That he won that LVO with Admech yeah. is mind-blowing to me because that is the version of Admech that's now got like a 30% win rate or something at tournaments, right? It's, yeah. it's basically the same version of Admech. So anyway, um, his opponent was like clearly starstruck that game. And and Siegler was destroying him. And this was like in the semifinals of LVO, like to play into the top four. And the whole game, they were both like – before this, I'd never met Siegler before this. I, I had worried that he was going to be kind of like a stiff guy or kind of, a, you know, kind of awkward maybe because he's kind of a, he comes across as kind of a quiet guy, right, when you don't we haven't met him. But he was anything but. He was so gracious and kind and uh, he's joking around with his opponent and with me. And, you know, at the end of that, his opponent had a big old smile on his face, right, that he just lost this huge game at LVO <laughs> against – at the time, the best player in the world, you know, and he, he walked away with it with a huge smile on his face. And that's so incredible to me that we have those kinds of examples in our community 
um, I think it's something that we really should be thankful for. The downside of all of this, of course, a year later, is that you're no longer just some guy. You don't get to play that card anymore, walking into an event and saying, hey, I'm just some guy yeah. from New Mexico. Uh, you're actually now, you know, everybody knows War Games Live. Joe is a celebrity in his own right, if I can refer to you in the third person, and then and in the Warhammer community. And so when you go into an event, suddenly the vibe is different now. You've you've got attention because people want to, I don't know, if people, do people get selfies with you or at least kind of come and say hello or be want to be part of your vibe as well because you're there? Yeah. Yeah, people come up and say, I, I always love when people come up and say hi. You know, sometimes I'm I'm super busy when I'm streaming because I'm a one-man band. You know, I do everything myself. I'm doing the commentary and running all the cameras and the overlays and getting the players settled in and charging my batteries. And between rounds, I have to go walk my dogs and let them go to the bathroom and then come back in and try to find a time to eat lunch and all but, but um, yeah, I mean, people do come up, but that, that's a really good insight, Steve, because I'm just now kind of feeling out that transition myself, you know, where um, I was before just some guy. And now I feel like I have a little bit more responsibility on my shoulders to, I don't know, like just um, give back to the community that's gotten me to where I am now and just keep showcasing that that kind of Warhammer that we were just talking about where, you know, people are playing at the highest levels, but also being great people. Right. And I feel like a responsibility to continue to um, share that with people, but it's tough, man, because I, I am, I'm not used to people knowing who I am or recognizing me or anything like that. It, it, I'll say in a lot of ways, it was easier being the unknown guy. Right. right. Um, in some ways it's easier now being someone that people know, or it's easier to get into events. You know, it's easy for me to email someone and say, Hey, can I come stream your event? I'm Joe from war games live. That, that part's easier. But um, the part that's harder is I guess just feeling some responsibility that, that people, um, I don't know. It's just weird to like be someone that people want to meet. You know, that's weird to me. <laughs> like being someone that people, um, <laughs> I don't know, like all that stuff is. I'm, I didn't get into this to be a celebrity, Steve. No, right? no, I, I understand. I, know, like, I, when I, this, I don't know, you know. I'm just, I just, it's just weird to me because, like, that's the last thing I wanted. And it's so funny to hear someone who streams for a living say that they didn't want to be recognized by people. But legit, that's that's me. I didn't want to. Like, I would if I could have had like somebody um, do all the commentary and be the face of the channel in front and let me just do all the behind the scenes stuff. I would have done that, right? Um, because I am I am an introvert, right? I'm not I'm not a very extroverted person. I uh, I have to have my downtime and my alone time and everything. Yeah. Um, and I guess I'm I'm just worried of like disappointing someone who meets me in person or something. You know what I mean? Like those kinds of feelings. I don't want anyone to ever feel like um, when they meet me that I'm um, like too busy for them or whatever else. You know that I worry about that stuff sometimes. Oh yeah. It's definitely a huge honor to have people come up and say hi to me. And I love when people say that they listen to me every weekend. It just puts a big smile on my face. Because, um, you know, I do feel like I'm a part of this big community that's grown up around the channel. And when I get to, that's one of the best things about my job, honestly, Steve, is getting to travel around and meet people who watch my stream in person. It's not something a lot of streamers get to do. Right? You've, you're going so to have to, really this is going to be awkward for you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you're going to have to accept some 
responsibility for the success because you are just a really likable person with this very smooth voice, this way of presenting things that is very easy to listen to and easy to get into and easy to buy into. And I'm saying this as a broadcaster of some experience. Like you well, you just you, you do a great job at what you do and it's no surprise that it's worked, you know. So we see it now. And we <laughs> it's go. Surprising to me, I'll tell yeah, you. That. Well, yeah. So that's the that's the problem. You're probably the only person. So <laughs> now, like like you, I am very much a person in, in my part of this that likes to keep the spotlight on the positive and keep, uh, you know, and big up the community. I've had much the same response. You know, people have been very accepting and understanding and and welcoming which I've said before, I don't think you get that in other places. For example, if you say to a fisherman, a local fisherman, where's a good fishing spot? They'll point you to not where the fish are, but to somewhere else. <laughs> you know, They don't want you catching all their fish. But in this community, I have found it to be very welcoming and very accepting and very, hey, let me show you how to play as well as you can so that then it's a good game. And then, you know, there's, there's all of that. So as much as I want to keep it positive, and we can shut this down immediately if you want to, but have there been situations where on-camera stuff has happened and later on people have gone, I saw this on More Games Live, and they take snippets and use it for, you know, controversy? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, that happens. It doesn't happen as much anymore. And I here, here's that, that, but that does happen to you for sure, right? Right. But here's the thing. I think that by me doing what I do, um, which is to stream this stuff every weekend, I think it's helped people to understand how normal it is for those things to happen, right, in games. So in before I started doing what I did, what I'm doing now, people would maybe watch two or three big giant events a year on stream, right? You have your LVO stream, people tune in to watch that. Maybe someone would watch like a SoCal stream. Um, these are like the, the events that I would watch, right, when I, before I was streaming, maybe two or three times a year. And a, a significant proportion of those people would only tune in for the last one or two games of those big giant tournaments, right? And so they, they tune in for this one or two games of these big giant huge tournaments and a couple of things they would notice, which is, um, first of all, the people who are like in the finals of LVO have their rules down pretty well, but they would make mistakes as well in those kinds of games. And also there was a lot more tension in the games, right? They, you could actually feel that the game was kind of had stakes to it, right? And so, um, I think that that caused a lot of people to think that every tournament game was that kind of game, right? Where people thought every tournament game was kind of a tense situation with a lot on the line and, you know, people being very kind of persnickety about rules. And I think part of what I've done by streaming events all over the country every weekend is show people that really that may be true at a finals of a 400 person super major, (laughs) but you know, at your normal 100-person or less tournament, everyone is so chill. And even at those big tournaments, people are chill, right? But, like, every, the games are just much more relaxed and friendly, even at even in the finals of big tournaments, right? Um, and so people, I think, used to freak out a lot more about rules, mistakes in games. And there's something that people would bring up, which which kind of... I guess it, it. I disagree with this sentiment, but people would say sometimes this mistake was made during this game. Therefore, the result of this game is invalid, right? Right. Like this guy scored this point when he shouldn't have scored it because he because he was quote unquote cheating, which is a word that I don't like to use because I think to cheat implies you're doing it on purpose, right? With intent. 
mistakes and cheating are not the same thing. No. So someone will say this game is invalid because this guy won because he made this rules mistake. Okay. And the reality is that in any live event of any kind of complexity, that stuff happens, right? Look at any sport, right? In every sporting event, every game of any sport ever, there are fouls committed by both sides in those games, every game, even in the, in the big world, you know, at the world cup, right. There's, there's fouls being committed, right. At the super bowl, there's, there's fouls committed. So we're talking about professional athletes. They're getting paid millions of dollars a year to know the rules of their game. And yet they still break those rules in a game that has one, one hundredth as many rules as Warhammer. Right. Yeah. But those events are not considered invalid by anybody. Right. Because we all know that, yeah, when you're doing something on the fly, off the cuff, you know, in real time with the time limit on you and a clock and everything, mistakes are going to happen, you know, and we do our best to minimize them. So we have referees, we have people who engage with the players, try to keep them on course and do the right thing. But mistakes do happen. And do some of those mistakes have big impacts on the game? Absolutely they do, right? And that can cause controversy, you know. Yeah. When, when someone... I'm going to use football analogy. I apologize, um, Steve, if this no. doesn't resonate with anybody, but like an American football analogy. <laughs> like, you know, if someone clearly is committing pass interference in the end zone at the end of a huge game and the ref doesn't call it, some fans of that team would say, well, that game is invalid, right? Because we should have had a touchdown there because of pass interference. And the same thing could be said of Warhammer. You know, those big mistakes do happen every once in a while. Um, and they're not always caught, but I don't think that invalidates the game. I think it's just part of playing the game live off the cuff, right? And really, at the end of the day, it's it's down to the two guys playing the game to try to catch as many of those things as they can. And it's a collaborative thing. I say this on my stream all the time. When you play Warhammer, you're not playing against your opponent. You're playing with your opponent, right? The two of you are trying to get the game right. You're trying to get the rules right. Yeah. And you have to work together to do that because there's so damn many rules. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> there's yeah. So many things to remember. Yeah. Um, it's which is the which so is yeah, the people, best part and the worst part of the game. All the rules. It's so. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's cool to have something so complex, and I love it in a lot of ways. But then on, every, but you're right. Every single game, and it doesn't matter who you are. You watch yeah. the Out of War stream. You're not not streams the Out of War games that they play. Recorded games. Every single game, something happens where too many dice are rolled, or someone forgets a rule, or forgets a. God, I've forgotten phases. <laughs> you forget the. Yeah, I forgot yeah, the I psychic know. phase, and I'm like, ah yeah. oh, man, I forgot a whole phase <laughs> of the game. And right. but if you're in a situation where you're playing somebody, even at a tournament, I, I cannot think of a time where I've said to somebody, or maybe once, where I've said to somebody, oh man, I forgot to do this, and then both of us go, well, hold on. Is it possible for us to squeeze it in now, or or is it yeah. definitely way too late? Like, if we yeah. can, we'll get it done now. Like, cast your psychic powers. But there are times where it won't work because it's like, you know what, it's really going to affect how things then would have happened in other, you know. But, yeah, everybody makes mistakes. And you're right in that now we see streaming every weekend. We have the opportunity to see streaming every weekend. We get to see more and more relaxed games, more and more games where we get to identify uh, hey, the, these people are like us. These people playing on stream are like us. Right. That, that, that's really important, I think, is just to realize I, I actually love it in my chat when someone will 
So I love it when people point out the mistakes in my chat seed, right? I, I do love that because it helps me learn the game better. Right. Um, and I always encourage people to do that as long as we're not then like, you know, accusing someone of cheating or doing it on purpose. But I love it when someone in the chat is at home on their computer, right? With access to the entirety of the rules written down on the internet somewhere. And they say a rule is a certain way, right? And they're convinced that it's this way. Like they know for sure that the rule is this way, right? And then like, Two or three minutes later, they pipe back in and say, actually, I was wrong. You know, the right. rule was actually this way it's <laughs> yeah. said. Yeah. And, and I yeah. love those moments because, first of all, kudos to that person for admitting that they're wrong. But second of all, you know, think about it really is a, mo- it's a teachable moment for me. Right. I can teach people who are watching. Look, this guy who's sitting there probably has the book in front of him. Right. And still <laughs> he has it the wrong. rule in front of him, <laughs> you know, and still gets it wrong. That's the game we're playing. Right. And and yes, that that does rub some people the wrong way that there will never be a quote unquote perfect game of 40K. But that's just the reality of it, you know. And um, I think that, like I said, doing what I do is normalizing this kind of showing people that this is the way 40K actually is. I, I do think some people get a misconception that that 40K can be played perfectly from some of the other pre-recorded bat rep channels. But what they don't realize is a lot of those guys take 14, 15, 16 hours to record one game of Warhammer right? because they're constantly going back to the rule book and trying to make sure they're doing it right. Cause they know that their audience expects them to get all the rules, right. You know, that's a whole different environment than playing a game in two and a half hours at a live event on a stream. Right. Totally yeah. different thing. Yeah. 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 Can you give us a little bit of a, uh, two quick behind the scenes questions. I know that we, we don't want to go on all day long. You've got stuff to do, but um, sure. behind the scenes, you mentioned a couple of times you got a million cameras. Seriously, though, like how many cameras on a game? How much? And and then how do you kind of control it all? Well, so I started at I started at about sixteen is what the what I peaked at. I had sixteen cameras uh, on one game, and I've actually gotten fewer, Steve. But it felt weird to downsize my number of cameras. But what happened is I took cameras. My old cameras would have one shot, right? They were fixed focus. And they were fixed, um, you know, they couldn't move around. I couldn't move them around during the game. So I upgraded those to these cameras that I could control remotely that are point, tilt, zoom, and I can get to anywhere on the, on the table. So I have, now I'm running about 10 cameras on the game. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that took me a while to get used to doing. I, I use the one-man band analogy a lot because I really do feel like that when I'm running the stream. Right. Like, I feel like the guy playing the accordion with a bass drum on his back, you know, and the, the cymbals between his knees and, you know, playing like I, I am that guy. And so um, I'm constantly like on this on the stream. I try to switch views about every five to ten seconds because I did a lot of analysis about like sports broadcasts and like baseball games and stuff. And that's about how often they switch cameras. Um, and I think it's important to help engagement to do that. But um, what, what people don't see is that constantly during those five seconds, I'm going back behind the scenes and looking at all these other camera views and moving them around, adjusting the camera with the joystick, zooming in and out, you know, panning and tilting the camera around <laughs> to try to frame the right shot and then throwing that shot over onto the live feed. And while I'm doing that, I'm trying to pay attention to a game of Warhammer right. and read a chat room that's going by pretty fast sometimes. And so like, I have about maybe 10, 15% of my brain is actually watching the game of Warhammer. <laughs> the rest of it is 
focused on all these other behind the scenes tasks. And that's another reason I'm, I'm so grateful to the community I have in my stream, because uh, honestly, I, I, I don't always know what's happening in the game, Steve. I know it sounds crazy that I'm the guy streaming it, you know, but I've got so much other stuff going on behind the scenes. I don't always know what's happening, but I can always rely on the people watching and the community there in the, in the chat to have my back and kind of, you know, get me up to speed on stuff and explain what's going on in the game. And I'm so grateful to that because, you know, people could say, well, you're the streamer. You should know what's happening. Right. <laughs> um, but, but my, my community has been very understanding about the fact that um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of riding the tiger a little bit during the stream. Right. I got, <laughs> I got so many things going on. Um, so they got my back and I really do appreciate that. Oh yeah, I've got to tell you, I've been involved in uh, live broadcasts of big sporting events in New Zealand. Uh, the closest equivalent I can make to baseball is cricket. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with the game of cricket, but we play it in the in the uh, places that the English went and inhabited, um, and forced the game upon that was us. A very kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's two, a couple of things in the English that the English did when they landed. Uh, many things actually a lot of which weren't very pleasant but one of the things they did was they bought us cricket anyway uh so it's a bit similar to um baseball in the you know the speed of the game and how many cameras are... so i've been behind the scenes in the live setup for that and i can tell you there are many 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 people doing the one do each doing one of the jobs you're doing behind the scenes you know that thing of looking <laughs> yeah. at all the different cameras Normally, you have a director saying to each camera operator, okay, go a little tighter, okay, ease it off, and then telling a separate person, okay, switch to three, switch to five. And then another person controlling the audio down on the floor and another person in the studio and another person working with the director to make sure that they've, you know what I mean? It's like 10 people yeah. in the studio doing what you do by yourself. Yeah, no wonder you feel stretched. Yeah, it's very, but you know what? It's funny. I think teaching really prepared me for that, honestly, Steve. Like, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's, it reminds Probably. me of teaching, right? It's it's another one of those things where you're just juggling a million things and trying to ride the unicycle while you're juggling the balls and not fall <laughs> off, you know? And Dreaming's yeah, yeah. uh, very similar. To that, yeah. So. Is there, there must be an element of like, because now, correct me if I'm wrong, this is your living. This is what you're doing. You're traveling in the camper van and you're doing this to make, to you know, to pay for groceries and campsites. Yeah. So is yep. there an element of desperation there as well of like, you know, I've got to make this work. i got to make it work because this is it. You know, yeah, it's, it's I wouldn't call it desperation. I, I've because of my experience living for a while, like I did in New Mexico on almost nothing. Right. I, when I first started this, Steve, I, someone asked me, like, well, how much would it take for you to do this sustainably? Right. Keep doing it. And I, and I did the math. and I was like, you know, if I'm making about, you know, a thousand dollars a month. Um, on top of like gas money that I'm fine. Right. So, so I know that I can live on very little and that experience was really good for me Yeah. because before, like back, back before I did that, I, I didn't think I could survive on that little amount of money. Right. I, I would, uh, and I, I know maybe in some place of the world that's more than others, but you know, for the U S $12,000 a year right, to live on is very, very, very small yeah. amount of money. That's right? not a lot of money, but I, I know that I can do that because I've done it. And um, so I don't really ever have a feeling of desperation about, you know, it's, it's, I, I say on my stream all the time too, that like I would do what I'm doing now for free, you know, if I didn't have to feed myself right, and my dogs and like that stuff takes money. Yeah. So I have to do it. I, I didn't get into this thinking I was going to get rich or anything like that. You know, it's, 
our community is not big enough. Um, and it's not, it's not, you know, it's not something you get into because you think you're going to strike it rich, right? That was never the intent. You know, I just wanted to do something that I loved. And this is the first and only job I've ever had in my life where I actually am sad when I don't get to go to work on a weekend and do a stream. Like this last weekend, I didn't have a stream and I, I was, I was bummed. I wanted to stream, right? That's never happened to me before. Uh, and to me, that's worth way more than any amount of money, you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I don't, the, the main thing is that like, I have patrons, I have a Patreon and the, the, the patrons on there have signed up to like, just automatically give me five or 10 bucks a month. And that income is such a nice safety net. It's like, it's a nice safety blanket to know that even if I don't get as many streams in on a weekend or get as many donations on a stream or whatever, I'm still going to have enough money there to feed myself and my dogs. Right. Right. And um, that's such a huge relief, you know, to not worry about that as much. Um, And so I'm, I'm very thankful to those people who support me that way. Um, Cause it's, you know, the, the donations on stream are awesome and they're really hype and they get you really excited but it's kind of feast or famine sometimes, you know, Right. like sometimes someone will come in and they'll donate a hundred dollars on a weekend. And then the next weekend they don't. And that's totally fine. Right. It's fine. But it's, it's hard for me to like budget my life around <laughs> those events. So you can't do a spreadsheet <laughs> based on maybes. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's much nicer to have this, the consistent support of the, the patrons and, Having Patreon is really nice. We'll we'll link to the Patreon in the in the description to this episode, so if people want to check it out. But but how do we find you? Like, how do we find the Patreon if we're just looking? Yeah, just on it's just uh, patreon.com slash wargameslive. Okay. And then same with YouTube. It's just youtube.com slash wargameslive. I feel um, like this is a this is a good place to leave it. I do want to mention one thing though before we go. Uh, you and I have a couple of things in common. One, we grow up broke. Uh, you know we. <laughs> We were a solo parent, house provided very kindly by the church for a, a lot of my childhood. So there was, there's that. And then we've both been to NASA um, and visited NASA. I did it for oh a, really? I did it for a TV <laughs> documentary, and I feel like you did it as a teacher. I saw on a social media post somewhere. So uh, I did. I took my kids on a field trip there. Yeah. There's a there's an element of hey mom, look at us now. It's kind of it's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but listen, thanks so That's much for great. being my guest today. I really appreciate it. It's been it's been amazing actually getting to know you a little better and getting a little glimpse behind the scenes at the man. Um, who you know? I hear your voice a lot, and I see what you're streaming a lot. But to to get to know you is, is very cool. So thanks for your time, man. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, thanks you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. A big thanks again to the big man, Joe Scheidler. Uh, the links you need are in the show notes for this episode. Hey, next time we've got a really special show in which I speak to a whole heap of LVO champions. It's scheduled to drop right after the LVO. Siegler and Naden and Grant and Nanavati and Harrison and Perkins all join me next time and I hope you can too. I'll see you then. I'm Steve Joel. This is Champions of 40K. Champions of 40K.